From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. It's Friday, October 1st. Today, we hear another interview in our Lift Up LGBTQ Plus Visibility series. KZMU recognizes the need to share voices and stories from our local LGBTQ Plus community members on the airwaves. We hope this project helps deepen understanding and empathy within our community and reinforces a sense of belonging. I'll turn it over to co-producer Ginger Allen, who has an introduction for today's storyteller. Sally Hodges moved to Moab in 2004 from Los Angeles, California. Born in Bristol, England, they gained a communications BA honors degree in film, video, and photographic arts, which ultimately led to the film industry. Sally is now a self-declared artist specializing in tintype portraiture and film. They advocate for the acceptance and introduction of non-gendered bias in our institutions and culture in the hopes of a more equitable future for all. My name is Sally Hodges. I am 58. I was born in Bristol in England. I arrived in Moab in 2004, May of 2004, from Los Angeles. Yeah, what was Moab like when I first got here? It was, well, obviously it was very, very different from Los Angeles. But in a surprising way, it didn't feel that different for me. Even, you know, it being a very rural part of Utah. And and I actually grew up in a very conservative farming community in the southwest of England. So when I arrived here, I grew up with a very similar mentality. Very patriarchal mentality, actually. Um, But I understood it. You know, because it's not that I necessarily liked it, but I understood it. Um, what I did love about Moab is that when I first moved here, I thought all the women here were lesbians because, you know, they were rock climbers and, and, and river guides and like they were doing all of these jobs, I guess you would say, that were not specifically very feminine, you know, so I did, I thought all the women were gay. I thought it was, it was I, I, you know, it's like it's like heaven. I'm like, this is great. And then, of course, as I lived here, the longer I lived here, the more I realised that that wasn't obviously the truth. But that I, I discovered that Moab gave me this freedom to be more who I am and, and what I enjoy, which is, you know, like the river and hiking and mountain biking and being, I guess, if you want, physically active. I've always felt very safe here in Moab. And I think that what happened to the couple, you know, in the, in the LaSalle's has, has definitely not made me feel safe anymore. And that actually makes me really mad. It makes me angry more than anything else that, you know, there's still somebody out there who actually did that and is living their life, doing whatever they're doing, and that makes me absolutely furious. You know, when I was growing up, 
you know, back in the, when I was coming of age, let's say in the 80s, um, homosexuality was seen as something, you know, disgusting. And, and particularly in, in where, where I was growing up, in this very conservative farming community, it was not, see, you know, homosexuality, which was something that, you know, was described to me once as a, as a, a disease that you couldn't see. So, you know, when you grow up in an era like that and you've also got AIDS, which is considered the gay plague, and that's definitely what, you know, the conservative press were pushing. And then Margaret Thatcher came along and, and she was very, very, very homophobic, the whole government were, and there was this sort of backlash, I guess, against, you know, more, like in the 70s, there was a lot more androgyny and, and then the 80s became very, very conservative. Um, so that was a different, it was a very different time growing up and the only way that I can say that it affected me was from the perspective of being a little kid, I, I, had, a, I had a fantastic childhood, but you know, between I would definitely say when I was born and at the age of 12, because it was a farming community, I wasn't, I was allowed to be me. I, I didn't, my parents never imposed this idea on me of who I should be. Um, a little girl, for mm -hmm. example. Uh, so it wasn't until I was, you know, got into my teenage years, and then you start not understanding, but you you go through puberty, and then the idea of sexuality arises, and you realise you've got crushes, same sex crushes. And when you're in, when you're growing up in an environment when you're being told that being gay is is like a disease, and 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 all of those things, then you you tend to become or you there's a self-loathing that you feel because you're not like everybody else you're very different and and then also between you know puberty then you're expected expected I was expected to do thing that things that girls did and become a girl and that was difficult and it was confusing I left home at 22 and, and basically that was when my, my life started. So creativity and photography saved my life, that's how I look at it. And it was my way out of the scenario that I was in and that was a very conservative community. When I left home I, I ended up in, a, in Bristol um, living with uh, a, a group of girls that were middle class they were educated and I it was just amazing you know I I found a level of acceptance just for me and I hadn't even come out at that point but these women were amazing and they didn't live for boyfriends they were you know, career oriented and all of the things that I found fascinating When I entered into university, it was the first time in my life that not only was I being embraced for being a woman um, and being a gay woman, they, it, they wanted, they, they weren't just listening, they wanted to hear what you were saying. I mean, how does, <laughs> that, that, that's kind of extraordinary when, when somebody is actually saying to you, yes, you're valid. Yes, you're a valuable person. Yes, you have a point of view. We want to know what it is. How do you feel? 
how do you feel in in the late 80s in this environment that we're living in you know how does it affect you where are, where are your points of oppression I mean one of the hardest things I think for me when I first left university is that I'd been deconstructed to a point where I didn't know how to put it back together again which was tough creatively and I don't feel that I got my creativity back until I moved to Moab so I, I, that's the other thing that I just love about this place I mean it gave me the space to be creative and that for me means everything I mean it keeps me sane and it keeps me uh, you know uh, that gives me joy huge amount of joy but I think Moab for me was that place that allowed me to be creative but it also allowed me to be much more of my authentic self and what I like doing and how I behave you know, and I'll be forever grateful for that, especially. I feel like I'm much more visible now, outwardly, just by the way that I dress and, you know, my hair is. And, you know, I, I definitely, back in those days, and particularly when I was in Los Angeles, I mean, the, the signifiers of me were much more, I could pass as a straight woman. Mm. Lipstick lesbian, as you might say. You know, lots of red curly hair and, you know, um, there's, there's a level, I think what I'm trying to say is that you always try and hide. I mean, I certainly did growing up in that. I mean, I'm still not, you know, 100% open. I, do, I don't reveal my sexuality. First of all, because I don't really think it's anybody's business to be honest with you. And secondly, I find it incredibly complex. So if I find my own sexuality complex, I'm not sure how anybody else could really understand it, you know, in, in terms of being non-binary, um, which, which again has, has been a, a huge relief discovering that there's actually a word, you know, because I'd always prior to that said that I didn't feel male or female. Right. And yet at the same time, I kind of felt both. And now there's a word for it and it's non-binary. And, and that's been, that's been amazing. I think that when you, you, there's something that speaks to your authentic self, I mean, f you know, it, not just being, you know, or identifying as non-binary. One of the reasons I, I actually like that is because I do really, really relate to being a woman. And I feel that we need to give women <laughs> way more of a voice than they have which is why I like the idea of non-binary and they and them because you're taking away that very strict patriarchal binary that holds everything in place under it whether it's racism you know homophobia misogyny all of those things I think you know stripping back who you are a little bit and going oh Okay, there you are. There's, there's that little person that was there at six years old. You know, just being allowed to be themselves. I'm really, really excited about all of the, the work and, around gender and, and that there is now a space out there, particularly amongst, I, I think, younger people. You know, it seems to me that a lot of kids that you talk to nowadays don't give a shit about homosexuality. I mean, it, it, it's 
not even an issue for them, which is incredible. The more that you believe in yourself, and the more that you have the courage to be yourself, the better your life will be. Do not take on board people that put you down for who you are, for the color of your hair, the color of your skin, the sex you are, or any of those things. That's their problem. And just by the need for them to be cruel or to, to say something negative to somebody else, they're suffering. So just, just ignore them. Or maybe give them a hug. I don't know. Thank you to storyteller Sally. This is the fourth interview in a KZMU project airing stories and experiences from local LGBTQ community members. Ginger Allen conducted this interview and Sarah Mead edited this piece. For more on the project, head to our website at kzmu.org. You can find this story and others by clicking on the Programs tab and lift up LGBTQ visibility. It's time now for the weekly newsreel, where we check in with reporters on their latest stories on Moab area issues. The Moab City Police Department is making news on a local, state, and national scale. First, for their August response to a possible domestic violence call between Gabby Petito and Brian Laundrie. Second, for Chief of Police Brett Edge taking a leave of absence for unknown reasons. Third, for allegations of continued body camera misuse recently made by 7th District Court Judge Don Torgerson and others. And finally, for their handling of a crime victim's complaint. After 15 months of trying to work with the police department and city administration, that complainant and her lawyer went to the city council on Tuesday. Doug McMurdo of the Times Independent explains. Okay, Jane May, uh, 40-year resident of Grand County, highly respected. She is the victim, and 15 months ago, she filed a complaint against uh, Chief Brett Edge, alleging that he was basically derelict in his duty to, uh, to protect and serve her. Brett reportedly said that uh, the crime wasn't in his jurisdiction. That's a mistake. But she filed the complaint... Like I said, 15 months ago, July 1st, 2020, mm-hmm. it's still not resolved. It was, it was a very um, heart-wrenching. It was, you could tell she was nervous. You could tell it was hurting her to say the words that, that she was saying. But um, she just described a, a, a police chief, city administration, uh, specifically a former attorney, Lori Simonson, um, and the mayor, Emily Niehaus, meeting with them, but nothing ever being done. Mm-hmm. And what really um, upset her the most, I believe, is in December, she was asked to um, remain silent while they investigate, to make sure they get a fair investigation. Mm-hmm. On the surface, that sounds pretty bad. But as Carly Castle, the acting city manager, pointed out to me yesterday, you don't ever want to talk about ongoing investigations. Mm-hmm. But it goes south from there, because in April, Lori Simonson told um, Jane May that there just wasn't enough time to work on her case. So they were going to form it out to a third-party investigator. Hmm. And so she just recently, Grandma requested to find out who is that investigator, what is the status of my case. Mm -hmm. Now, think about that for a second. A crime victim 
has to grandma the city council or the city mm-hmm. to get a status update on her case. To me, that, that says there has been a breakdown in communication. There has not been a third-party investigator hired either. Hmm. And Lori Simonson gave her that information in April. And here we are at the end of September, October 1st, actually. To, to me, it's just, uh, it's really bad. And then uh, Attorney Happy Morgan, she followed uh, Jane, and she had comments of her own and pointed out that, you know, they're saying, the police are saying that it's not a problem. Uh, with the, the cameras uh, issue, because that was one of the complaints that Jane May issued. One of them was body camera misuse. And uh, Happy pointed out there's, there's been several cases mm-hmm. of officers not properly using their body cameras, including Brett Edge, who told the Times Independent there is no problem. And uh, Braden Palmer, the assistant police chief, he also said that he doesn't think that the problem is specific to Moab police, even though the judge says it is. Happy Morgan says she works with eight agencies, law enforcement agencies, and this is only a problem with Moab police. Mr. Palmer doesn't believe that's the case, and he points out that Axon, the company that makes the cameras, uh, invests millions in research to take human error out of it. But there's just a lot of conflicts. Here's the thing, Doug. You know, you're reporting on these cases that... Um, have gotten thrown out because of body camera misuse. And when you talk to the police department and say, hey, do you have a comment on this? The police department's posture is saying there is no problem. And yet you can point to cases or the recent um, comments from Judge Torgerson saying that there is a problem. It just it boggles my mind. Well, you've got two judges and you've got um, right. a Dan prosecutor mm-hmm. in San Juan County with Kendall Laws. Mm-hmm. You've got former Grand County attorney and current private attorney, Happy Morgan. Jane May with just an absolute horror story. Did the city council or mayor have anything to say about these comments? Um, They don't ever comment on during public comment. I don't believe they're allowed to, but uh, Palmer did give a uh, presentation on how body cameras work, and uh, he defended his officers like uh, every leader should. And um, the council uh, was either silent or they asked softball questions. They made no comment, no references whatsoever uh, Mm -hmm. during his presentation that alluded to the comments that were made earlier on Tuesday night. Um, It was pretty disappointing, actually. You know, a police department is kind of a unique thing, right, in city government. It's a a department that sometimes our elected officials don't really want to mess with like they do, I don't know, other departments like planning or administration, because, you know, there's a lot of stuff to learn about law enforcement and how the court systems function. But the Moab City Police Department directly responds to the city council and the mayor. And it sounds like um, in this week's council meeting, some very informed members of our community, a victim of crime, as you said, were imploring them to at least look harder as is their responsibility. Yeah, I, I think that the uh, official stance of the council, if I'm reading it right, is there's room for improvement because there's room for improvement in everything that we do mm. every day of our lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't believe that they're taking it any more seriously than that. As the editor of the newspaper, I see it as um, willingly you're going to back the police against the well-being of your 5,000 constituents. 
Because when you're not using your body camera correctly, you are violating that person's rights. Mm -hmm. And you're also violating your own department's policy and state law. And I want to make it very clear. Um, Carly Castle is acting city manager and Braden Palmer as assistant chief. Uh, They're both in very... um, unenviable positions right now. National spotlight. I, I have no animus with either one of them. Mm-hmm. And, and I want to make that known publicly. So you can read more of listener in the Times Independent. And finally, Doug, Times Independent reporter Sophia Fisher did a piece um, keeping Crystal and Kylan in the news. Kylan and Crystal, of course, were found deceased. They were murdered in the LaSalle Mountains um, six weeks ago now. Yes. Uh, Sophia, um, regular readers know that she's a very gifted writer, and uh, she didn't disappoint with this story. She sat down with uh, uh, co-workers of Crystal and Kylan at uh, the Moab McDonald's and at Moonflower, and uh, she spoke with uh, Kylan's dad, um, who's just devastated. He's just absolutely mm-hmm. devastated, as you pointed out mm-hmm. uh, on your program Wednesday. These two women were uh, very much in love. All newlyweds are, but they seem like they were just mm-hmm. especially yeah. happy, which just makes the uh, this this story just all the more horrifying. So Sophia talked to um, friends and coworkers of the couple, is yes, that right? Yes, that's true. Kind of to show you know, who Kyla and Crystal were to the people who knew them best. Yeah, and it, it's, it's, it's taken a while to be able to put more of a human face on these yeah. two women mm-hmm. without also writing about the horrible thing that happened to them. Yeah. And this really is more about, you know, just more, more of a eulogy than, uh-huh. than anything else. Doug McMurdo, editor of The Times Independent. Subscription info and more stories can be found at moabtimes.com. It's been talked about a lot over the years as one way to solve congestion issues at Arches National Park. And now the park plans to pilot a timed entry system this spring. Superintendent Patricia Trapp presented to the Moab City Council this week. Ellison Hartford of the Moab Sun News has more from their coverage. So Patricia Trapp, who is the superintendent of the Southeast Utah Group of National Parks, she was presenting to the council basically a plan to control congestion in Arches National Park. So um, if you remember earlier this fall, the parks group kind of opened this public comment to be like, okay, what do you think solutions to congestion are? Because what they've been mostly talking about is a timed entry program. In the parks where there is a timed entry system, um, not a ton of people are a big fan of it. I mean, I'm from Boulder, Colorado, and I know that Rocky Mountain, the locals were like pretty upset by it. And then it started backlogging into Mm -hmm. like six months in advance. The park would be like booked up and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And these timed entry programs were also in effect in a bunch of parks for COVID. Um, Patricia Trapp at the meeting said that next spring they are going to do a timed entry program. And this is just a pilot, so they're just going to test it out. Um, But she also mentioned that the Southeast Utah group conducted a visitor use study, which I thought was pretty interesting. And it found that the majority of visitors visit Delicate Arch, the Windows, and Devil's Garden, um, which isn't super surprising. Those are like the three most popular hikes. And second, it found that visitors are arriving earlier than they ever have with the peak between 8 and 10 a.m. Interesting. Um, I think the third thing that this study found was 
the most interesting, and I found that visitors' experiences are being diminished, and mm. more and more visitors are saying that they will not return to the park due to overcrowding. Arches has been experiencing huge growth for the past decade. Mm-hmm. Um, like from 2009 to 2019, visitation grew over 66%, mm. putting it at like over a million annual visitors. Um, wow. That's really interesting that she said yeah. that. Um, they've found that there are some visitors who say they won't return to the park because of congestion issues. You know, that's really notable because Arches is a significant driver of our entire economy. Yeah, and kind of another thing with this timed entry is that Patricia Trapp said that her hope is that visitation will kind of spread out over the year with this timed entry program instead of it just being like really popular at only certain times of the year and so like you know maybe if people are reserving their spot six months in advance or whatever Mm -hmm. then maybe they'll be more inclined to come in like more of the off seasons rather than the peak seasons but she also mentioned that um public comments are still open Mm -hmm. and they'll be open until october 5th um and you can find the spot to submit a comment on the like national park arches website so you can find more details of course in the moab sun news this week and there's more from the city council meeting do you mind um touching on the hiring process moab city has to look for a new city manager and potentially a new city attorney yeah so both our city manager and our city attorney um resigned um so the city is kind of in this shakeup of you know we don't have a permanent city manager right now um even as we're going into like elections right. so the city council mentioned that they don't really feel like rushed to pick yeah. a new city manager. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's because like they want to do it right and they want to find someone who will fit the position. All of them mentioned that it's going to be a couple months before we have a permanent city manager mm-hmm. and a permanent city attorney. Emily Niehaus, our mayor, mentioned that she wants this recruitment process for a new city manager to involve both like the past council and whoever will be elected. Mm. Um, And so kind of the timeline that we're looking at then is that in these next few weeks, the city is going to review the job description and then they're going to open the position and they talked about leaving it open until it was filled. Right. So... There will be like a hiring committee made up of past city council members and whoever is new and elected, they will help decide who our new city manager is going to be. Yeah, it did seem important to the mayor to start the hiring process, A, but -hmm. also acknowledge that they need to find the right candidate Mm -hmm. and also have both current and future council members and mayor Mm -hmm. involved. And I think right now everyone's pretty comfortable with Carly Castle, who is mm-hmm. the acting city manager, and they just assigned Ben Billingsley, mm-hmm. who was our finance director, to be our acting deputy city manager. Um, and so Karen Guzman-Newton, a council member, kind of mentioned that it feels to her like there's some some stability right now mm-hmm. with the staff and a little bit of calm, she mm-hmm. said. Um, And so they all kind of feel like they can take their time with the process of hiring. Um, Anything to mention about the city attorney process? Yeah. So um, historically, the city has contracted out legal services. But two years ago, legal services were brought in-house to lower costs. So there was kind of a brief discussion on whether or not 
it'd be worth it to hire a city attorney. Mm -hmm. Um, But ultimately, they decided that hiring a city attorney in-house is cheaper than contracting out. Let's go to your sustainability now. So last week, Ali, you were here telling us, giving us kind of an overview of um, Mila Dunbar-Irwin's role as the sustainability director at Moab City and her action plan that she's, you know, updating. What happened with sustainability this week? So this week there was a special city council meeting kind of devoted to sustainability. Okay. Um, so the council heard a presentation from Eric Snyder, who's the CEO of the Drawdown Fund. And then they also discussed a project to implement more like dark sky compliant lighting. So in August 2019, the city council passed an ordinance that established new lighting standards Mm -hmm. um, to minimize light pollution. And then that became known as the Dark Sky Ordinance. So now they're kind of continuing that project with um, this proposed streetlight conversion project that will replace 419 streetlight heads with LED lighting. Do they have a timeline for when this is going to happen? No. (laughs) That's a good question. So... They passed the project. The project is approved, and then Dunbar-Irwin will return to the council with example lights and also the contract, and then they can move forward. Okay, and then any mention of cost or cost savings? Yeah, so the projected cost is just over um, $90,000. But the savings from switching to LED lighting is estimated at like $30,000 every year. Hmm. So this project will essentially pay for itself within three years. Allison Hartford, staff reporter at the Moab Sun News. Subscription info and more stories can be found at moabsunnews.com. That's it for the weekly news reel. Find the stories mentioned today in the show notes of KZMU News at our website or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for tuning in and supporting KZMU, community-powered radio.